Good morning, church. So as per usual, anytime I get up on stage, I'm not weird, I promise. I just like to get a good look at everybody. You all look wonderful, well-rested. That hour does magnificent things, does it not? We're blessed for daylight savings. So good morning. As Jeff had already said, my name is Alex Harth. Um, I am a member at Kirtland Christian Fellowship, and um, I'm part of their... Push it down to the side. There we go. So I am, a, like I said, a member at Kirtland Christian Fellowship. Um, and Leroy Chapel now, for quite some time, has held a really special place in both my heart and my wife's heart. In 2013, I was approaching my senior year of high school, and I didn't know it at that point, but I would have met my, wo- my lovely wife, Katie, um, as a fellow leader at Release. So thank you, Leroy Community Chapel, for being a wonderful, welcoming place who provides wives to young men. (laughs) Couldn't be more thankful for that. So now, less about me, more about he. Amen? All right, I like that. I like some feedback. Last week, Pastor Jeff spent some great time unfolding the first large portion of Hebrews chapter 4. We talked about rest. I was thinking about rest, like I said this morning, when I was sleeping in an extra hour. But Jeff last week kind of got us thinking along the lines of, what is genuine spiritual rest? What does that look like? How is Jesus' rest that he provides to us as his believers, as his followers, better? So, in the same tone, this morning we find ourselves at the final, the the conclusion of chapter 4 in Hebrews, and we're not necessarily talking as much about rest as we are starting a longer dissertation that goes into chapter 5 about the character of Jesus and his role as our better high priest. Doesn't that just have a great sound to it? A better high priest. So before we get into the Word and before we get into anything else, I do want to take a moment to pray because we have so much to be thankful for and pinnacle and paramount of that today is Jesus being our better high priest. Would you pray with me? Father God, you are so, so good. You are so good. And Father, you are so much better than anything we can fathom. Father, we come to you today, and we're just so thankful, and we're grateful for your Son. We're thankful that He is our great. He is our better High Priest. Father, I ask this morning that your presence would just fill this space. Would you touch minds? Would you change hearts? And Father, I ask that you have a special hand on me. Can I get this right, Father? But ultimately, Father God, allow me to take the back seat and for you to hop in the driver's seat. God, you are so good, and your Son is so good, and we are so thankful. We're so grateful. It's in your name we pray. Amen. If you're able, would you stand with me as we read our text this morning in Hebrews chapter 4? It was my best intention to let you know what page that was in your Bibles, but I forgot, so happy hunting. (laughs) 
Jesus, the great high priest. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find the grace to help in time of need. You may be seated. This passage highlights three main characteristics that sanction Jesus as the better high priest. We start to see tones of the gospel message here as these verses in and of themselves are enriched with the gospel. Before we go any further, if there are any bakers, can you raise your hand if you bake in this audience, in this congregation? Okay, for all you bakers, I am an amateur, but for the last two weeks, I've spent an absorbent amount of time watching the Great British Baking Show on Netflix. (laughs) This has now influenced the better part of my language. When I speak, I say words like enriched now. I say words like saturated now. I was sitting at dinner with my wife a few days ago, and I said the word emulsified, and my wife with a disgusting look, looked down at her plate, back at me, at her plate again, and back at me and said, Honey, you have to stop. (laughs) So, to all you bakers in the audience, if I misuse any of the baking terminology, please feel free to let me know. (laughs) Because I do, ooh, that was loud. All right, we're not going to do that again. So that was my brief sidebar. But before we can get into understanding Jesus as the great and the better high priest, we first have to get an adequate understanding of who the high priest was, what his role was, and how he functioned in traditional Judaism. In ancient Israel, the high priest was a hereditary office meaning that it was passed down from generation to generation, and it was typically held for one's entire life. Exodus 29, verses 29 and 30, and Leviticus 8, verse 12, tell us that this office was first held by Aaron, the older brother of Moses. The primary role of the high priest was to serve as the intermediary between the Jewish people and God. The high priest was considered one of the highest-ranking socio-political and religious roles of that time. It was an amazing role to be, to hold, rather. And lastly, Leviticus 16 highlights one of the most unique responsibilities of the high priest that was performed on a yearly basis. This, on the Day of Atonement, or as the Jews still refer to this holiday as Yom Kippur, the priest was permitted on this day alone to enter the holiest of holies, the holy of holies rather, which was the innermost sanctum of the tabernacle. He would be wearing the purest of all white robes, and he would enter to burn incense and sprinkle sacrificial blood from a perfect offering on the Ark of the Covenant. 
Now this did a few things, but namely, it cleansed the sins of not only the high priest, it atoned for his sins, but then in turn, it also atoned and cleansed the sins of all the people who followed. Now, have you found yourself thinking, how does this relate to Jesus? This seems just a little bit too political, just a little bit too formal for Jesus. As we've already agreed, though, this week we're looking into some of the characteristics of Jesus' character, and more specifically, the characteristics that permit him to be the high priest. Now, next week, and I imagine in some weeks to follow as you all move into Hebrews 5, and I will be listening to the podcast, if I could talk, podcasts, you guys will be unraveling some of the deeper truths, some of the deeper semantics of how Jesus could be the high priest. But for today, let us just be concerned with his divine character. Does that sound good? Does that sound good? I usually work with teenagers, so I like loud. So this brings us to our first point. Jesus is the better high priest because he is superior. Jesus is the superior high priest. Verse 14 highlights the superiority of Jesus that allows him to take on the role of the better high priest. Jesus was superior in many ways, but in this text we'll see that he is superior in his personhood, and in his ability, and in among all of his people. As we've discussed already, the ancient Jews depended on their high priest. He was the man who represented them to the Lord. He was the man who interceded for them before the Lord, and he was the man who offered the blood sacrifices that atoned for their sins. The high priest was a truly important part of their lives, their worship, and their relationship with their higher being. The major problem, though, that we start to see unfold in verse 14 is that the high priest, much like I, much like you all, much like Pastor Jeff, was human. He needed forgiveness. He needed atonement just as much as his people did. They were sinners, and he was a sinner just like he represented. Jesus is superior because he's not just a human high priest. He's the Son of God. He's completely sinless, sinless. And even if he wanted, he probably couldn't try to sin. He cannot fail. And he does not need forgiveness because he's perfect in every way. Amen? We also find that Jesus was superior in his ability. Every year, the Jewish high priest had to make a sacrifice for his sins and the sins of the people on this day of atonement. The sacrifice made on this day, however, had an expiration date. It was guaranteed that in another 364 days, another sacrifice would have to be rendered. Jesus is superior in his ability because Jesus had no sins of his own, as we already agreed, and it is alluded to here and in many other New Testament texts that he made atonement for our sins. By going to the cross, Jesus made the last sacrifice ever needed for all of humanity. Best part is, no expiration date. 
Later in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 13, verse 12, the author tells us that Jesus didn't offer the blood of a goat. He offered the blood of himself, his own sinless blood. And again, we find that Jesus doesn't have to repeat this sacrifice because it stands forever. How awesome is that? Jesus didn't need to enter the tabernacle to make his sacrifice either. Rather, he passed through the atmosphere, through outer space, and into heaven. Jesus offered his blood as the eternal payment for our sin, as Hebrews 9 says, and then Jesus did what no earthly priest could ever even fathom or imagine doing. He sat down at the right hand of God because his work had been forever completed. Jesus is the superior high priest because he purchased our eternal redemption. He purchased our eternal redemption when he died on the cross. Which leads us to our last point on Jesus' superiority. Jesus was superior among his own people as he walked and as he proclaimed and as he was here. Much like all of us, the Jews were broken and a fickle people. Can everybody say fickle? (laughs) That was funny. You all said fickle. No matter how many times their priest made atonement, the Jews were prone to abandon their commitment to the Lord. Time and time again, they wandered away from God. They needed to be told here once more as they were turning back and looking at Judaism again that Jesus was better. And this is precisely what the author accomplishes with verse 14. This verse encourages believers to hold fast to their confession. All believers are called to not abandon the confession that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior and our resurrected King. Amen. We must be certain not to abandon our confession or our faith, even in times of trial and temptation. The author in, these few, in this short verse exhorts that Jesus' people should cling to their faith in their pursuit of him. However, this is not accomplished by my strength, by the strength of those holding me accountable, by any amount of human strength, but only his strength. Jesus is superior among his people because he provides a way for them to attain these wonderful things, this grace, this mercy, this salvation, and this redemption. Jesus also, though, provides the strength to overcome temptations and trials so that we can remain in him and that we can remain in our dedicated pursuit of him. Jesus is the better high priest because he is superior in every way we can fathom. Amen? Which leads us to our second characteristic of Jesus. How are we feeling? Are we feeling good? We're feeling thankful, grateful? Head nods? Perfect. Sorry, I work with teens, guys. (laughs) So this leads us to our second point. Jesus is a sympathetic high priest. And because of this sympathy, he is the better high priest. 
verse 15 highlights the sympathetic nature of Jesus, our Savior. It actually employs the term sympathetic. Jesus is able to be a sympathetic high priest because of his human identity. This verse is clear when it tells us that Jesus was not unable to sympathize with our weakness. One of the problems of the human priest is that he simply cannot know how you feel at any given time. Certainly your face and your body language and all of that could have helped him along the way of understanding what you were feeling or what you were experiencing. But I cannot adequately feel or experience what you are feeling at this present moment. Jeff cannot adequately understand and realize and just know inherently how you are feeling and what you are experiencing at this time. We haven't experienced all of the same things that you may have been experienced, and thus the high priest for the Jews cannot sympathize adequately with his followers, with the people. Jesus, on the other hand, can. But how does Jesus gain this type of sympathetic heart for his people? He gained it by becoming a human and taking on the flesh, as the beginning of the book of John says. Simply, when God became a man through the incarnation, he broadened his experience and he lived everything that his people were living and are living. He now could actually sympathize with humankind and live through many of the same situations and experiences that we face. So you might be scratching your head. I can pull a few out of nowhere of where Jesus was sympathetic with us. However, here are a few examples. Jesus experienced what it was like to be hungry. So last night when I was putting the final touches on my manuscript and thinking to myself, whew, I didn't even eat dinner. He knows what that feels like. He knows what it feels like after a long day of proclaiming his father, what it's like to be thirsty and to want and to crave some water. This verse itself tells us he knows what it's like to be tempted. Judas allowed him to know what it was like to feel betrayed. And in the garden, before the night before he would go to the cross, he knew what it was like to pray. To engage in friendships with the disciples, to receive compassion from those he served alongside, and to be a part of something larger, to be a part of a family. The truth remains, when God became man, he was able to not only live alongside his people and do plenty of observing his people, he also experienced quite a lot. Therefore, Jesus is able to sympathize with you and me and the rest of humanity. He's a high priest who knows and who is sympathetic toward our human situation because while he was and is fully God, he is also fully man. Additionally, Jesus is the sympathetic high priest because of his heavenly integrity. Now that sounds kind of daunting, heavenly integrity. That sounds pretty fancy, right? So let's look at that a little bit. According to the second half of verse 15, Jesus has in every respect been tempted as we are, yet without sin. 
How is that possible? Yes, Jesus was tempted in all the same ways that you and I and all of mankind are tempted. We know that Jesus wasn't tempted to steal a car or to rob a bank or to do something absolutely crazy, as some of those things didn't even exist when he was on the earth. Rather, to me, and to, for, this, for the author of Hebrews' perspective, he was tempted in more of a 1 John 2.16 way. And in that text, it says, there are temptations that are the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. These were the things that you and I and Jesus were tempted with. Again, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. When Jesus was tempted, it was not to see whether or not he would sin. Contrarily, it was, is that a word, contrarily? We're going to go with it. Jesus was tempted to prove that he couldn't sin. Again, we've already learned and we've already agreed that Jesus was sinless. He never sinned, nor did he even have the capacity to sin. And there are many pieces of scripture, we can talk after this if you want to, that highlight this truth. Some to come to mind are 2 Corinthians 5.21, 1 John 3.5, jot them down, review them later. However, even given all of this proof that Jesus could not sin and that Jesus didn't sin, there are still some that argue that if Jesus could not sin, then his temptations couldn't have been real. And therefore, he can't possibly know what it's like to face trial and temptation. The fact that Jesus could not sin does not, however, change that the temptations he faced were real. The fact that he endured them and overcame them gives him the ability to comfort us when we are tempted and when we come to points of trial. Allow me to illustrate a little bit further. Many of you, if you have children, women, have experienced an immense amount of pain at some point in your life. I experienced great pain on Tuesday of last week. I had to go to the podiatrist to have removed an ingrown nail. Oh, it is terrible. But the fact is, I never felt the full range of the pain that associated that issue. I had an, an, an anesthetic, ooh, that was a stutter. I had an anesthetic pumped into my poor little sore big toe, and then he did the procedure that made me chipper jolly and ready to leave his office. But even if that anesthetic wasn't available, our bodies have a natural defense mechanism. We naturally enter a state of shock or fight or flight. So if that doctor did not have the anesthetic, likely I would have entered that state of shock. When the pain gets too great, the body naturally turns off all of those blaring red lights that are saying, ow, ouch, I want to kick this podiatrist in the face. This is terrible. While the pain is still very much there, it is very much real, the body doesn't allow us to fully experience it. We have a natural defense against pain. The same is true for Jesus and for us in the arena 
of temptation. Neither myself nor any one of you have ever experienced the full range of temptation. Now that's a bold statement, but let's uncover why. We've never uncovered and we've never experienced the full range of temptation because at some point we've succumbed to it. We've given in. We've waved our white flag. After a while, we all reach that point, no matter how spiritual we may be, no matter how well we know God's word, no matter how deep we think our relationship is with him, we all get to a point where we succumb to that temptation. That's a limitation of our human nature, of our fallen humanity. But Jesus, no such limitations. He endured the full force of temptation because he did and he was able to. Certainly, he can help us in times of our own temptation and of our own trial. Amen? Jesus is sympathetic to our every need. This brings us to our third and final character attribute functionality of Jesus. In verse 16, this verse highlights the final attribute of Jesus' character found in Hebrews chapter 4. Jesus desires to be our sanctuary and our safe harbor as our high priest. Because Jesus understands the full force of the human experience, and because he successfully endured the full force of trial and temptation, He is able to help us in whatever we face in life. That's why he invites us in this verse to run back to him in these times of trouble. The author petitions all believers and all readers in this next verse to have confidence in approaching the throne of grace. The Jews would have had no idea and no conceptualization of what the writer was saying here. They couldn't imagine a God who would invite people to come before him whenever they pleased. I'm almost positive that in Esther chapter 4, it tells us, the the readers of Esther, that in ancient times, the king could only be approached if he solicited you to approach him if he invited you to come speak to him. And this is precisely the same conceptualization the Jews had of God. However, the author of Hebrews wants us to know that we can approach God at any time. In any need or in any want, we can approach God. And under the law, the high priest could only go before the God The Jewish high priest could only go before God on one day every year in the holiest of holies, as we've already discussed. Jesus was quite contrary to that image. And lastly, the author brings us to a promise that they may receive mercy and find help in time of need. Simply, when we come to the Lord in times of trial and temptation, we will surely and quickly find that he is our sanctuary. 
He is our safe harbor. I think back to a few weeks when I was listening to Pastor Jeff preach about not drifting. Don't drift. And that image of a safe harbor came to me in that we are to make sure that we strap ourselves down, that we're not drifting, and that we can always come back and reside in this safe harbor that is Jesus Christ. Amen? The way to God has been opened, and we can come to him at any time for mercy and for grace. And in a way, what the law perceived and made Jesus sound as a judgmental God, in this way we now see that he is a God of mercy and of grace. And a God who was all to do about our salvation because he sent his son to bring it. So where does this leave us? Isn't that the million dollar question? We know now that Jesus is superior in every way. We've discussed that he's sympathetic to our every need. And now we have recently heard that Jesus is our sanctuary and safe harbor amidst any trial. So, what a confidence and certainty we can have in him. Jesus is the better high priest. So if I may, I know I don't know you all too well, but if I could, I would like to issue you a challenge this week. My challenge for you is that as you go out into the world this week, whether that be school for you students, work for us adults, etc., live out the truth that Jesus is our better high priest. And with that, exude a confidence and certainty and a pure faith in him. So much so that maybe your coworker, the one who's always cranky and doesn't like to smile, says, boy, I want what he's gotten. I want what she's gotten. And lastly, run to him with your temptations and trials. Because I assure you, he is waiting their arms open wide. Jesus is both our great and better high priest. Amen? So before I step off the stage, I would like to pray for us this week. And what better of a message to have before we get to do something as awesome as partake in communion. To remember the sacrifice that Jesus rendered. The permanent one. The one with no expiration date. Let's pray. Father God, as I said earlier, you are so good. Worthy of our praise. Worthy of our dedication. Worthy of all that we can give to you, even though it's still not enough. Father, we thank you for sending your son. Because we are so undeserving. Father, as we go out into the world this week... Would you not only accompany us, but would you spur us on to a life of certainty and of confidence of our faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for sending him. Thank you for allowing him to come and to be our great and our better high priest. It's in your name we pray. Amen.